force of the pregnancy of Diti. By the force of the pregnancy of Diti. Ahata. Ahata. Being devoid of. Being devoid of. Aloke. Aloke. Light. Light. Lokapala. Lokapala. The demigods of various planets. The demigods of various planets. Hata Ojasaha. Whose prowess was diminished. Whose prowess was diminished. Navadan. Asked. Asked. Or axed. <laughs> was that Ebonics? Vishvasrije. Vishvasrije. Brahma. Brahma. Dear Shaking said. Don't say that. Dvanta Vyatikaram. Expansion of darkness. Expansion of darkness. Disham. Disham. In all directions. In all directions. Translation by Svan Rikshivakata. By the force of the pregnancy of Dizzy, the light of the sun and moon was impaired in all the planets. And the demigods of various planets, being disturbed by that force, Ask the creator of the universe, Brahma, what is this expansion of darkness in all directions? Pretty dramatic. Huh? Okay, please repeat. By the force of the pregnancy of Dizzy. By the, the force of the pregnancy of Dizzy. The light of the sun and moon. The light of the sun and moon. Was impaired in all the planets. Was impaired in all the planets. And the demigods of various planets. And the demigods of various planets. Being disturbed by that force. Being disturbed by that force. Ask the creator of the universe, Brahma. Ask the creator of the universe, Brahma. What is this expansion of darkness? What is this expansion of darkness? In all directions. In all directions. Therefore, it appears from this verse of Srimad Bhagavatam that the sun is the source of light for all the planets in the universe. The modern scientific theory, which states that there are many suns in each universe, is not supported by this verse. It is understood that in each verse there is only one sun which supplies light to all planets. In Bhagavad Gita, the moon is also stated to be one of the stars. There are many stars, and when we see them glittering at night, we can understand that they are reflectors of light. Just as moonlight is a reflection of sunlight, other planets also reflect sunlight, and there are many other planets which cannot be seen by our naked eyes. The demoniac influence of the, the demoniac influence of the suns in the womb of Dizzy expanded darkness throughout the universe. Om Ajnana Timuranda Shagyananjana Shalakaya Chakshurameitanya Tasmai Shriya I was born in the darkness of ignorance, our spiritual master Shriya Prabhupada has opened my eyes with a torch by Naratara from my respectable basis unto him to all members of Shriya Prabhupada. Loke Tanahata Loke Lokapala Hatarjasaha Nyavadeyam Vishvasvijye Dvanta Vyatikaram Visham By the force of the pregnancy of Diti, the light of the sun and moon was impaired in all the planets. And the demigods of various planets, being disturbed by that force, asked the creator of the universe, Brahma, what is this expansion of darkness in all directions? 
So, uh, a few things I was thinking about is, um, well, how, how fearful darkness can be. I think one, one, at least one time in this neighborhood we had some unusual darkness in the neighborhood. I was trying to think if it happened during the day or, or when. It turned out that there was a there was a transformer down the street at QT that had done something and the whole area was dark for a while. And I was just thinking how <clears throat> how many things run through your mind, you know, when something like that happens and you're unsure of what's exactly going on. You know, first you think, you know, you try to figure it out yourself. You see people out talking to their neighbors, oh, what's this? You know, what could be the cause of this? Well, it's probably something local, like it turned out to be. But it could be that some foreign military forces finally come to, like, uh, you know, take over and run us out of our houses and, you know, shut us down completely. You don't know when there's darkness. It's a really fearful situation. We've been reading a little bit about the the qualities of the demigods. We're seeing the demigods here. Uh, they're, they're going to their leader, Brahma, like their grandfather. He's on a different planet, a residence, and they go see him when they're in big trouble. And uh, so, um, anyway, the, the qualities of the demigods, if you read that list in the first of chapter 16, in the Bhagavad Gita, the first item on there is, we talked about this the other day, fearlessness. Was it Abhyam Sattva Samshudir? Gyani Yogi is that those series of verses. Fearlessness, purification of one's existence, knowledge, um, and so on. So, what's going on here? The demigods are fearful. They're supposed to have the divine qualities. That's how they get to be demigods. Why are they fearful? Is it bona fide? <laughs> Should they be fearful? Well, I was thinking, while you're thinking of an answer, you probably have better answers than me. But I was just remembering Srila Prabhupada's little story that one of many hundreds of stories that Srila Prabhupada told that I love is how he. <clears throat> Was with his traveling with his little one of his sons when he was a householder, was a young, really young son, and they were getting on a train. And the person taking tickets decided to tease a little boy and said, well, Where's your ticket? And so Prophet's son said, Well, he's my father. You know, he says, No, you have to have a ticket. He says, You have to have a ticket or you can't come on the train. And uh, so he said, Well, no, here's, here's my father. So he's holding on to his father's hand. He said, you talk to him. He's, he's in charge, you know. And uh, so the little boy wasn't really afraid. Yeah, I mean, he was a little bit disturbed. It's like when the lights go out, you know, we're a little disturbed. But So this is a difference in having, like the demigods, they have some recourse. They're, they're in a fearful situation. But they do have recourse. First they go to Lord Brahma. And Lord Brahma goes to Lord Vishnu if you can't settle it. 
just like the um, what was that? Uh, well, after Devasmuni, this great yogi cursed the demigods, and the, the demons came and took over the heavenly planets, and uh, so they had to go again to Lord Brahma to Lord Vishnu. Anyway, I'm thinking about that story. So it's always there with the demigods. They know, in, in some part of their brain, they know that I have someone who's really in charge. We have the, the, the person who's actually controlling everything is in charge in case there's some trouble. I was also thinking that there's a story, maybe I heard from Srila Prabhupada, that said that something to the effect that parents should always tell their kids this fact that that Govinda is in charge, and if you're ever in trouble, just call out to Govinda. You know, we don't know if kids are being told this anything like this. People are atheistic now. It's a godless civilization, so kids are, I assume, extremely fearful a lot of times. I mean, when I was a kid, I got lost downtown in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Not a big Metropolis, but big enough for me. I was a little kid. Got we had these department stores, and they had, you know, on one main street, they had a revolving door. You go in the department store, and the other end of the store is a revolving street going out, revolving door going out a different street. So I think I went out the wrong door, and I lost my mom. Now, man, I was, I was upset. <laughs> My sister was there, and my, my mom, they always tease me and say, your sister was a lot more calm than you were. You know, she wasn't really scared. My sister was, wasn't upset about holding to me. Apparently, I don't remember that, but I do remember being, us being lost. So, you know, where's mom? Where's the person in charge here? <laughs> we're lost. So, uh, but anyway, yeah, there's a story that Sri Prophet told, you know, about some family in India. And the parents told the little boy, if you ever have any trouble, if you're ever lost, just call out to go in and he'll help you. So then one day it happened, this kid got lost coming home from school and there's a storm and he was going through a forest or something. And he was really late coming home. And his parents were so worried. And when he finally walked in the door, they were so relieved. And, you know, my dear boy, what happened? He said, well, you know, I got lost in the storm or whatever it was. Well, what happened? What'd you do? And I said, Why well, you told me to call out to Govinda? So I called out, Govinda. Yeah. Yeah, and Govinda came and he helped me. He brought me back and he thought, Oh, okay. Okay, what do you want for lunch? You know, you must be very hungry. You know, they thought, Okay, yeah, sure. Govinda came. Just a kid, he imagined it, you know. But, uh, so they, apparently in this story, they didn't have as much faith that Govinda had actually come, but, but if you think about it, Govinda is always there, ready to come. So many stories like that in, in the Bhagavatam, like the story of Gajendra or whatever. Um, this fearfulness, I was always, also think, somehow I got reminded of this pastime where the, 
in the city of Dwarka, the Yadu dynasty was there and Krishna was there. And the members of the Yadu dynasty decided, they had the thought that they wanted the best assembly hall for, for Krishna. So the best assembly hall was in the heavenly planets. Who's the architect of the, is it Vishwakarma or something? Vishwakarma. Yeah. I always think Kartikeya, but I think that's not right. Vishwakarma. Ganesh. What is it? Kartikeya, son of Ganesh, so it's Yeah, Vishwakarma. and he's a warrior, right? Yeah, he's one. He's a general, commander of their army, Kartikeya. Maybe. Vishwakarma built this, even has a name. Anybody remember the name of this assembly hall in the heavenly planets? Anyway, they went up there to get it, and they brought it back. And it's sort of said in that pastime, explicitly or implicitly, that that they were able to do this fearlessly and accomplish it. They went to the heaven and they just took the whole assembly hall and brought it and put it in Dwarka so Krishna could have it. So why were they able to do that? Well, one reason is their, their intention and their motivation was pure to serve Krishna. Krishna should have the best assembly hall. So of course he'll, you know, we're fearlessly, we can go up there and take it. We don't have to, you know, worry about being defeated by the demigods or, you know. <laughs> can you imagine? Human beings went up to the heavenly planets and were able to do that, fight off the demigods and take their assembly hall. Just take it. Because they were doing it for Krishna and they thought their intentions were. That's kind of amazing. To me, it's kind of an amazing story. Um, so fearlessness. Yeah, so the demigods are, you know, they have some fear. The great devotees have zero fear. Like, as we've talked about before, um, in Chaitanya Chaitamata, there's in the Anchalila. Anchalila? Anchalila. Um, final <clears throat> phase of Lord Chaitanya's life, the Hardest Thakur. Hardest Thakur passes away. And it describes in there how fearless he was. Anybody remember how that was described? Hardest Thakur was, was sentenced in the court to be beaten in 20 something marketplaces, 22. And it was a death, you know, any normal human being probably died in any one of those marketplaces, but 20 something of them. So, uh, but either it's in the verse or in the purport that Haridas Thakur, when he was sentenced like that, he had no expression. And in his eyes, there was no, not a flinch of fear. He, he just was expressionless with it. Expressionless with it. So uh, that's the position of a pure devotee. And that's a result of practicing Krishna consciousness that one can achieve this state of fearfulness, fearlessness. So I was just thinking, you know, we can, um, so many things can be going on in dimensions that we can't understand, like this pregnancy of Ditti causing this darkness in the universe. How, how do you understand that? Of course, you could say, well, Krishna is he's orchestrating a drama, which he does. He's, uh, you know, likes to put on interesting dramas. I was thinking of something, uh, 
Maybe that's why I was starting to think about the demigods in there. When they went to uh, the milk ocean, they were they were appealing for help because the, the, the demons had taken over. <coughs> so Krishna wanted to put, he could have settled that right there. But he wanted to put on this long drama of the churning of the milk ocean. You know, and uh, the bringing this Mandara mountain to the edge of the ocean so they could churn. And, you know, it was so dramatic. They, they went and they picked up this mountain, but they could only get it about partway, halfway there or something. And then what happened after that? How did it get to the rest of the way? You know, Krishna come and picked it up effortlessly. <laughs> so everybody comes to know who's, you know, where the source of power is, you know, how to be, you know, fearless and holding the hand of Krishna. So this is what we do with our practices to, you know, come slowly, slowly to this state. I've, I've been, sometimes I think about this lady who comes in the morning, I've said this before, so I'm sorry if you've heard this before, but Debbie, the teacher, the phys ed teacher, had said, she picked up one of those sheets and I think she's become, become a temple supporter now. She said, was I asked her a couple of months ago, I said, hey, you know, you're a nice devotee now. You become one of these temple devotees, temple supporters, and they'll tell me what'll happen to you. You're chanting every day. You know, this thing could really take off and start giving five dollars a month. You know, I talked to her a little bit and teased her a little bit, and she said, Well, she really had this worried look on her face and said, Well, I give money every now and then. You know, and so I said, Okay. And uh, but now she came to me today and she said, You know, back when you were doing your fundraising or something. I said, no, I've only talked to you. That's the only person. <laughs> she said, <laughs> I said, uh, she said, yeah, when you asked me that, it just happened. That very day, I was not able to pay my bills or something because it turned out she had credit card debt or something. But she's, she said, I, I couldn't pay my bills, so I was really worried. And, and then you asked me to do that, and I just couldn't do it. So I thought that was interesting. Interesting for us to know about also when we're talking to people. We don't know what people are going through. And we may get, you know, if they don't want to cooperate with us, we may, at least I'm talking about myself, we may not even, you know, think very good things about them. <coughs> if I was a more nicer devotee, I wouldn't do that. But I sometimes I do. Uh, what was that? I, uh, we had a gentleman here who comes and, he thinks of himself as a guru. He was here. He's been here the last couple of Sundays. He was here for a class the other morning, and uh, everyone was going up to take Charnamrita, which is powerful. So he was here, and he was standing back there, and I thought, well, maybe he doesn't know. I said, you know, go ahead, take, take some Charnamrita. He put his hand up to like that. And I thought, I didn't bother him anymore. I didn't really, you know, want to, I didn't know what he was thinking, but I thought, well, He's here at our temple, but he doesn't really care about our practices. Okay, well, we'll see how it goes, you know. Anyway, so this Debbie, she's, uh, oh, why are y'all talking about that? Oh, well, she's taking this practice. I don't know how many rounds she, I think she said she's doing four rounds a day. 
She tries to do two here, going back and forth, and then later on in the day at night, she does two more. <clears throat> and she's a physical education teacher. So she knows that if I take some little practice like this, after so many years of doing this, if I keep at it, and I don't stop at it, it'll amount to something in the end, you know. So uh, that's a really strong realization. And, you know, we don't know the power of, of things that are going on in other dimensions. That's what I was starting to say with this pregnancy of Ditti. Things are happening, obviously, on other dimensions that we don't understand, just like Hiranya Kashipu, he's doing his austerities and fire emanates from his head and goes out through all the planets. And that was another drama, that was kind of fantastic. We uh, chant Gayatri and we sit silently and we just think this mantra. We don't even vibrate it with our tongue, we just think these mantras. And um, somehow or another, the, the vibration goes out. And there's power in that. And sometimes I think, sometimes I think, again, according, since I'm a lower type devotee, I think, oh, gotta chant that. There's so many things I need to do right now. I have to chant Gayatri, you know. What is this? <laughs> How stupid, you know. <coughs> I have to chant Gayatri. But then I think, well, this is kind of like, Paying my electric bill or something. I don't have any bills to pay. But the sun, the sun is there giving us heat. And a skinny little guy like me needs heat every day, so I better pay my bill. I better chant guys. <laughs> you know, so uh, if the sun doesn't come up, I'm in big trouble. Worse than any of you guys. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, chant guys. You make that vibration go out. And then we chant our mantras. We can really make the vibration powerful if we actually are attentive with it. And I was reading uh, Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur, this, this uh, biography written by Bhaktivedanta Swami. There's some letters in there. And I brought one of them, which uh, appeared in an email that I got from Giraj Maharaj. Anyway, it's a long story. This is from Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur's Appearance Day talk by Yuri Rajamaraj in 2010, I think. He quoted this verse that's about, has some nice statements about serving the holy name, serving Sri Nam. Um, and it's a letter that was written to one of Bhaktisiddhanta Saraswati Thakur's disciples. So he says, like the Saraswati says, I am overjoyed to hear that your enthusiasm for chanting is increasing. As our contaminations are removed by chanting, the Lord's form, qualities, and pastimes will be, re will be revealed to us in the holy name. This is interesting. There is no point in making a separate effort to artificially remember the Lord's form, qualities, and pastimes. I used to try to do that to, to help my concentration. I think, well, I should be concentrating on the Lord's form. So let me start from his feet and go up, you know, just like they say. And then I'll get into the chanting. I don't know, it seemed like a, a lot of labor, but anyway. 
The past times will be informed, will be revealed to us in the holy name. There's no point in making a separate effort to artificially remember the Lord's form, qualities, and past times. The Lord and his name are one and the same. This will be understood clearly when the coverings in your heart are removed. By chanting without offenses, you will personally realize that all perfections come from the holy name. Through chanting, the distinction that exists between the self and the gross and subtle bodies is gradually effaced and one realizes one's own spiritual form. What does effaced mean? Can you read it in context again? Through chanting, the distinction that exists between the self and the gross and subtle bodies is gradually effaced disappears maybe face is kind of like a surface or and it's effaced it's taken away maybe so the the distinction is removed or effaced could mean removed is that what you're saying what did you say I said disappears yeah maybe gradually disappears and one realizes one's own spiritual form it's like a veil that's being removed. Yeah. Lifted. Yeah. So if we just practice, you know, constantly, every day, just, just for the amount that Sheila Prophet asks us. But as much as we're paying attention, and, and over time, this mysterious thing will have to take place. We have to. It, it's not that it might happen. It will happen if you practice properly. Anyway, we talked about that. This is like mystic powers come from Ashtanga yoga practices. Um, and it says, once, he's saying, once aware of the spiritual body, your, your own spiritual body, as one continues to chant, one sees the transcendental nature of the Lord's form. All this is a kind of a sequence of things that happen. It's all mysterious. We don't see it or we don't, you know, with our five senses, but what's going on in our five senses are not the whole story. <laughs> Only the holy name reveals the spiritual form of the living being. Only the holy name reveals the spiritual form of the living being. Not the Srimad Bhagavatam. Or or any of our other practices, taking prasada. This is only the holy name reveals the spiritual form. Anyway, he's going to go into what actually, more about the nature of the holy name at the bottom of this. Only the holy name reveals the spiritual qualities of a living being and then causes him to be attracted to Krishna's qualities. Only the holy name reveals the spiritual activities of a living being and then causes him to be attracted to Krishna's pastime. By service to the holy name, we do not mean only the chanting of the holy name. It also includes our other, the other duties of the chanter. If we serve the holy name with the body, mind, and soul, then the directions of that service, then the direction of that service spontaneously manifests like the sun in the clear sky of the chanter's heart. If we serve the holy name with the body, mind, and soul, then the direction of that service spontaneously manifests like the sun in the clear sky of the chanter's heart. What is the nature of the holy name? Eventually
Eventually, all these understandings spontaneously appear in the heart of one who chants the holy name. The true nature of Harinam is revealed by listening to, reading, and studying the scriptures. Now he's saying another thing. The true nature of Harinam is revealed by listening to, reading, and studying the scriptures. It is unnecessary to write anything further on this subject. <laughs> so he concludes, it is unnecessary to write anything further on this subject. All these things will be revealed to you through chanting. So it was a powerful little letter that was written to one of his disciples. Um, so, these statements that um, there's only one sun in the universe, and all the scientists are saying that there are millions of suns in the universe, suns in the universe. This is another thing I've talked about before, but sometimes people are. You know, maybe we're all vigilant to see is anything going to turn out to be a mistake that Shiva Prabhupada says you know, in, his, in his teachings that's going to let us know, well, no, this is not absolutely not true. I'm not, I can't. Now I don't have so much faith in Shiva Prabhupada. He's saying things like this that we know are not true. And this happened to a devotee, a nice devotee who came to San Diego as a physics professor. Or, he had a master's degree, now PhD, but he was teaching in a community college. Nice devotee, moved in the temple. Everybody excited. And, uh, but he had, you know, physics on his mind in a lot of ways, I guess. He was reading Srimad Bhagavatam. He got to some part that said there are something like 40 different winds in the universe. 45 winds in the universe or something. And he was so bothered by that, he thought. That's not, that just can't be true. I don't know how he knew that. How can he say that? Isn't it kind of naive to say something like, that can't be true, when it's in the Vedas? For some, you know, one of us to say, read something in the Vedas and say, no, no, that can't be true. How, how is that? <laughs> he feels qualified because he of feels his little knowledge. Because of what? Because of his little knowledge in physics. Because of his tiny knowledge from his education and his teaching. I'm a teacher. I should know. Um, anyway, in this age of Kali, we're being cheated. We were cheaters and we're being cheated. Either one or the other. And we cheat ourselves sometimes. He cheated himself out of association with devotees. He called up Berkeley University, <coughs> University of Berkeley, California, and said, Do you have a spot up there for me? I want to. Get my PhD degree. I'm down here in San Diego, wasting my time in the Hare Krishna temple. They're telling me there's 45 winds in the universe, so I want to come and finish my degree. Is that okay? They said yes. Come on. So he disappeared in the night. That's one funny thing that happens in temples sometimes. The devotees don't want to confront and just come out and say, "Well, I think I'm just going to go do something else." They just get their stuff up and disappear in the darkness. <laughs> So he dark. Was carried away by one of those 45 winds. And <laughs> <laughs> one of the winds got him. <laughs> anyway, darkness. Darkness. What do we know about darkness? We're talking about darkness here. It's said to be the backside of Krishna. It's a place where irreligious things and asuric propensities come forward. 
dark side of Krishna. And when Krishna left, there's a description in the first canto. Were you here when we read? I, I was just reading in uh, the eighth chapter something about this world being dark naturally or something like that. And now the suns are yes. illuminated. Yes, Srila Prabhupada's talked about that. Talk about universe. So unless there's fire, unless there's something that comes from the energy of the sun, yeah, it's just it dark. is dark. George Harrison says, Beware of darkness in his lyrics. Yeah. Um, in that same song, he says, Beware of Maya. Yeah, right. It's the same thing. Does it? Hmm. So now, how did I? I was thinking. Well, there's uh, chapter 14 in the first canto about the disappearance of Lord Krishna. It's another big time drama. If you read some of these verses here, they're kind of interesting. After the battle of Kurukshetra, um, Yudhisthira sent Arjuna to Dwarka to ask him, well, okay, now what's next? Now we, we finished the battle of Kukshetra. Yudhisthira is the king. What's our next program? So Arjuna went and he didn't come back after a while. So then he sent Bhima. But uh, he, he was starting to worry because also, you know these signs were starting to appear. We could go around the room and see who remembers some of the signs, I guess. But anybody remember some right off the bat? Right from that first canto? In chapter 9, so. You are? Mm -hmm. Oh, this is chapter 14. You just here began to observe some inauspicious omens which are, were fearful in themselves. He saw that the direction of eternal time had changed. How was that? He saw that the direction of eternal time had changed. We have to ask our physicist friend how that works. I'm sure he's, he would have something to say. <laughs> and this was very fearful. The direction of eternal time had changed. This was very fearful. There were disruptions in the seasonal irregularities. People in general had become very greedy, angry, and deceitful. I saw a t-shirt on the guy. It showed a map of the United States. And it said something about greed as, you know, it was a takeoff on the thing about green, green, green planet. It's a greed planet or something. And it had outlined the United States or something like that. There were disruptions in seasonal regularities. The people in general had become very greedy, angry, and deceitful. He saw that they were adopting foul means of livelihood. In the uh, former days, the king would go around and make sure that people were following their dharma, according to Barnashram. I think I read when, when Lord Ram came back from exile, his, his uh, next youngest brother, Bharat was in charge of the kingdom, and before Ram took took the throne, what did he do? Anybody remember? He went around to make sure that the citizens were following 
dharma, you know, the brahmanas were following their duties, the kshatriyas, the vaishyas, and the shudras, everyone is following, just like nice children in a family. So if the children are, are, are nice, then the father can, can rule, um, you know, for the benefit of the children and be happy. And then the children can trust the father. And Kirtan Yogi Prabhu was saying that in Thailand, in the country of Thailand, maybe it's the last place where this benevolent monarchy is going on. And it's so nice because the people, you know, feel that, oh, the king's there. He's in charge and we have to obey the rules. And they, you know, they all have a picture of the king in their house. And they, they revere the king and they show their, their love for the king. And he shows their, his love for them just like they're his children. That's the mood of the king. So this is this was going on all over in, in Vedic times. You know, the, the last remnant of it could be in a, in a country of Thailand. But so anyway, there's these inauspicious things going on. Kali Yuga is coming. Uh, Krishna has left, and you could say his like darkness behind him from his back. This is like the transition from like Dwarpa Yuga to Kali Yuga? Yeah. And it was supposed to have happened earlier. Um, but from what I understand, since Krishna was doing his pastime, since he was here, they couldn't, he seems couldn't, couldn't like be manifest until, so that, until he left. So, so there's so, like, there's visible things that one can perceive yeah. when, when it's happening, like changes, like yeah. atmospheric changes, or what's it kind of? All kinds of changes, yeah, well, atmosphere. Like people's moods too? Because you mentioned that it was like a shift yeah. in mood. Yeah, Interesting. It is interesting. And um, I was thinking, you know, things, sometimes it said that things come down to sound vibration. Um, and there's subtle sound, you know, there's, there's not only the, the material mundane sound that we have that's propagated by you know, through air, and it can't be propagated in a vacuum, even though they're saying other things now, I think. But actually, sound can be transmitted through a vacuum. This is, but there is transcendental sound. But there's sound on different dimensions, we could say, and the vibrations are going out. And uh, so, like, this pregnancy of Ditti is being felt in the higher planets. Just by the... I guess the intensity of the vibrations going from these these uh, demoniac embryos, you know, whatever they're concentrating on or whatever vibrations they're having, it's, it's getting out there. So now, what were we talking about? The, oh, the, the things going on, yeah. So all kinds of things happen, that's why these, these symptoms are kind of interesting to, to read about. Um, is uh, um, well, Yudhisthira says, the left side of my body, my thighs, arms, and eyes are all quivering. I'm having heart palpitations due to fear. All this indicates undesirable happenings. Just see the, the she-jackal cries at the rising sun and vomits fire. And see how the dog barks at me fearlessly. Formerly the dogs weren't inspired to you know, bark at king like that, I guess. But uh, now they have, they're like fearless to do. Dude is barking at the king. 
useful animals like cows are passing me on my left side. I guess that's inauspicious. Mm. Lower animals like the asses are circumambulating me. Yeah. Circumambulating the king, these donkeys. <laughs> They're not afraid to do that all of a sudden. They weren't doing it before. My, my horses appear to weep upon seeing me. Can you imagine? <laughs> you just hear the king, he's got these royal horses. You know, the horses are crying. Just see, this pigeon is like a messenger of death. The shrieks of the owls and their rival crows make my heart tremble. It appears that they want to make a void of the whole universe. Just see how the smoke encircles the sky. It appears that the earth and mountains are throbbing. Just hear the cloudless thunder and see the bolts from the blue. The wind blows violently, blasting dust everywhere and creating darkness. Clouds are raining everywhere with bloody disasters. The rays of the sun are declining and the stars appear to be fighting amongst themselves. Confused living entities appear to be ablaze and weeping. Anyway, it goes on. But So it's said that our, our situation in this material world is like a, heard compared to a, like a water on a, on a lotus leaf. If you see a, one of these leaves that's, you know, where water doesn't, isn't absorbed on the leaf. It just kind of forms droplets and if you tip the leaf, it just falls off. So our situation in this world is just like that. A drop is sitting there only until the leaf doesn't do this, you know, and then everything crash. We're in a really, uh, you know, precarious situation in the material world. And we think, oh, life is good. You know, sometimes the bumper, bumper, bumper stickers are there. Life is good, people are trying to tell us. But life is not good, it's really scary. It could be, it could turn bad really quickly. So we should stick to our practice and be really enthusiastic to become fearless. Because the devotees we see are fearless. And this chanting, of chanting is, is such a powerful thing. People don't want to give up their time. I don't want to give up my time every day to do it. But I know I should. It's the only way to be fearless. And, you know, to have any kind of control over my situation, I have to be practicing. Anybody have any quick comments? Nine o'clock exactly. Corrections. <clears throat> Doubts. The, the scientists, when they have a hole in their logic, they fill it, fill it with sci-fi terms. <laughs> yeah, they, they're really good at, you know, you are probably call it the bird juggler, you know, thinking of some way to, to just talk and talk and talk. And, but uh, yeah, they have they've developed their own language and they've got everybody wanting to talk that language also. Even to the point where now, if you don't hear that language, you're not interested anymore. If you, if you hear a different language like God, the different words come in there. Then, uh, you know, uh, you know, you shake their head. Yeah, we know. We're not interested in that. Don't talk. Don't bring God in here. You know, they have their own language. So. And the uh, and the desire that makes it cool to them is the fact that they are incapable of space travel with their material reductions perception. Say that again. I was following it up to about it, a minute. It's. 
it's cool to travel in space, but they don't know how to do it in subtle ways. So they yeah. create spaceships and advancements in technology too. Yeah, they make these tiny little advancements and promote it, and everybody thinks, yeah, that's great. You can just see how it's Maya Davis just plays with this. Yeah. I just see them as frustrated and trying to cover up something that they can't figure out, but they're trying their best to, to try. Yeah. I mean, quantum, you know, when you think about quantum mechanics, quantum physics, that was complete, that stumped the scientists. That was like, they had to admit that they don't understand the way things work. Mm -hmm. Because when they began to study particles at a subatomic level and the way that they behaved, they couldn't control mm -hmm. anything. So they started realizing this is out of our control and they had to admit it. Like, yeah. we, can't, we can't explain this stuff, you know? So. Yeah. And as a recently quantum physicist, leaning towards the Vedic perception and trying to understand this. They have to. I feel like they're going to be forced to eventually. Yeah. If they don't have the answers. I think eventually some really, uh, what do you call it, charismatic or powerful. Devotee is going to be a scientist. He's going to be able to persuade people. If you just open up your mind to something, then science can advance on a big level. If you just well, you know, open it up to some ideas that you're not used to, you know. Well, we've had some. We've had some really powerful scientists in our movement. Yeah. There is a lady right now. I don't know how valid this is, but Radha Sundari was telling me that Joy, who, who recently came here from New Orleans, was telling her that there is this devotee who is a scientist who was somehow able to prove um, the Vedic conception of, of the universe or something like that. Mm -hmm. And that she is looking to actually present this to, um, I guess, to the modern thought, to the modern, you know, conception and in hopes of changing the textbooks. So this is something, I, to that to that effect, I don't know exactly, but apparently she has some really compelling evidence to prove what the Vedas say about the cosmos, about our planetary system. Yeah. So anyway. Well, so we I have she's got body because what they do is kill people like this that have some thing that's against the, uh, yeah. the knowledge can. filter, you know. They can, but ultimately if she has something that you know, that is compelling. Yeah. That's good. If you're interested in these things that the scientists are, have not, you know, like you say, they, they don't know the truth about them. They, they haven't admitted it and they have other language. It's uh, Bayaski's book in the bookstore. You know what it's called? Cosmology on Trial. Cosmology on Trial. Have you seen that book? I've seen it on the show. Yeah. I have it too, yeah. There's a lot of interesting stuff in there. He's also a physicist, Bayaski, or he was. Yeah. He's really intelligent in terms of physical physics science. Prince Rajiv Shimon Bhagavatam Kita. Quite a bit of wandering around there. Sorry about that. That's how you have the best conversations. Sometimes it's good to have an organized talk where you say, I'm going to do these points, and you do those points, and you say, just what I, what I told you are these points. That's the way they recommend giving a talk. In a perfect world. Beware. <laughs> 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 <laughs>